He's right. You are my favorite church. We've got 50 in Western Canada, and uh, this is my favorite place to come to. And so if you uh, don't know why, it's because, um, ah, well, Canmore was home to my family for uh, 10 years. Uh, We had the joy of being involved in this church for um, some 10 years, and so helping to get this church up and running. And so it's just... Um, my kids consider this home. Uh, when you ask them where they grew up and what they think of as home and stuff, Canmore is where they look at it. And uh, if you ask my son, he would like to come back here at some point in time in his journey of life and uh, come back to Canmore. And so that's a dream of his. And so a little expensive dream, but uh, it's a dream. So as you're well aware. And uh, so uh, Trinity Bible Church. Just a place that I like anytime I get a chance to come back to uh, my circuits. And so when Sean asked me to come, I was only too delighted to write it into my schedule. Um, and so when I was looking at the weather forecast, though, uh, uh, wasn't too pleased. Um, uh, flew in last Saturday. We had council meetings in Calgary on Tuesday. And so, wow, uh, just a little chilly um, this past week. I was up in Red Deer on Wednesday, uh, minus 35 um, going into Red Deer to have lunch with our pastor, one of our pastors up in that area. And, uh, wow, that was just, uh, I live in Kelowna. And so I've, uh, uh, I've forgotten the prairies and, um, only when I have to travel every so often and stuff. And so when I leave Kelowna and look at the weather forecast, like, wow, um, and have to, uh, mentally readjust to my prairie days when, um, pastors in Saskatchewan and, uh, of course, loved the Chinooks when we lived here in Canmore and stuff, but they don't have Chinooks, Chinooks in prairies or in uh, Saskatchewan. So, but anyway, be that as it may, it's a joy for us to be here, uh, or for me to be here today, and um, uh, looking forward to our services today, uh, now, and the next one and stuff. So, just um, you have to know that you hold a very, very special place in my heart and in my um, spiritual development uh, as a pastor, as a leader, and my understanding of what it means to. Uh, um, shape and, and be part of a church family and um, uh, learned so much over the 10 years of being here. And so if you have your Bibles, open it up to Psalm 51. Um, if church is part of your, your DNA and your background, then you'll know that um, uh, this book is, is a, a book where relationships are, are part of it, um, are such a key component. From Genesis through to, to Revelation, um, I, I would encourage you this coming year, if you haven't done this before, is to ask God to stop you when you're reading and, and perhaps open your eyes in a, in a fresh and different way to, to just cause you to pause every time He tells a story about relationships. Because this book is chocked full of relationships. It really is truly amazing. And what I've done is I've challenged myself in 2020 to see the Bible through the eyes of relationship in in new ways. And and, uh, this man over here, Mr. Ron Hallam, um, I don't know how many years is it now, Ron, that we have read through the Bible um, as a a sort of a, a devotional time for us. We started... To, yeah, it's way longer than that. Ron and I have been doing this for a long time. 
30-something. So it's been a long time that we've been doing this, of uh, reading the Bible together as uh, we read through it from uh, Genesis to Revelation. I don't necessarily say that's the only way to do it, but Google ways to uh, read through the Bible. If that's too big of a challenge, just uh, find ways to, to read the Bible, though, because it's chock full of relationships. And in Genesis in particular, just if, if the Bible is something new for you, um, it's, it's the honest book. Because not all relationships in this book are good relationships. There's lots of broken relationships. And Genesis in particular is full of broken relationships. Where they don't get it right. They, and the Bible's honest about that. And so this isn't God trying to fool us. Telling us how that, you know, everything's all good and it's all fine, it's all smooth. And, and if you just did it my way, everything would be all good. I mean, if we do it God's way, yes, do things do work out good. But, but the reality is, is that this is a book where it tells the story of, of God sort of writing it out for us and showing us how as humankind interacts with each other, we so often mess it up. And that's the, our own individual story of life too, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I've messed it up so often. It's my story of life. And I'm so thankful that when God revealed to us in these 66 books, I can identify with so many of these characters because they go, well, that's me. That's, I, I've done that. And so I would encourage you, I would challenge you to read the Bible in ways that perhaps you haven't read it before, um, asking God to say, hey, um, show me... Perhaps yourself in the stories in the Bible where we've messed up. And read it through eyes of relationship. Because our God is a God who loves relationship. And Psalm 51 is so much a psalm of relationship. It's a psalm of brokenness. It's a psalm where the background of it is a story where God sends one individual after another individual who has messed up so badly. And yet God, because he's a God of relationship, he says, I want that relationship to be restored. So will you go and get him and tell him that he's so wrong? But I want it to be right. So the background is in 1 Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12, and says, David, you got to get this right. And, and the result is Psalm 51. So let's read Psalm 51 and hear the story of relationship. Listen as I read Psalm 51. David, after he's been confronted by his friend Nathan, writes this. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me, against you, and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. 
Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then... Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices and whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Relationship just oozes throughout it. And so I've used the word thread because I see these threads that kind of um, sort of come throughout the whole psalm. And and so let me just break it down into a a few different parts. And so first is one through to six. I said, I see the thread of mercy and admission that come from David's part as he's wanting to have back this relationship with his God. The thread of a mercy and admission. And so out of knowledge, uh, his knowledge of a relationship uh, with God, he, ha- he asked for mercy. And David knows God. He's had relationship, but he knows now that the relationship isn't where it once was. And so he comes to God and he asks. And he says, God, have mercy on me. He knows it's broken. He knows the relationship isn't where it once was. And so he knows his God, though. He knows the kind of God that he serves. And so this is what he asks for, mercy. And then he asks, he says, God, out of your great compassion, blot out my transgression. And he wants his sins to be washed away. And so because of his knowledge of God, because of the relationship that he has had, then he knows the kind of God that he comes to and what he asks for. He says he asks God for mercy because of the knowledge that he has. And so, God, out of your mercy and compassion, I ask you to blot out my transgression. And there is this incredible beauty of actually knowing our God, that when we mess up, we can come. And we will mess up. That's the beauty of knowing our God, that when we sin, we can come back. You see, David knows God, and he knows that out of the relation that he has, the relationship that he has, out of this incredible beauty, then he comes with a relational request. I want our relationship to be restored, David says, so please wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me. David wouldn't have this boldness if he didn't have the relationship in the first place. And so then comes the admission. And here's where I think we sometimes we don't get it. We want to downplay what has happened. We want to sort of grade our sins. Well, I didn't do anything all that bad, and so I don't really need to do this. We want to march on 
thinking that, well, I didn't really do anything all that bad. And perhaps we come here this morning looking at David and saying, well, he committed adultery. That's really, really bad. I haven't done that this morning, and so this whole message doesn't really relate to me. Hmm. And so we continue to, to play at what I would refer to as religion. We go to church. We're nice to others. We do the things that we think religiously would be satisfying to God. Well, then I would come back to the reality and the truth that I'd say, um, all we're doing is trying to look good on the surface. We're looking good on the surface. And David is not trying to look good on the surface. He says, wash away all my iniquity. He's asking for a clean slate about absolutely everything in his life. He's wanting to be cleansed from all of his sin. And he says in verse 3, for I know my transgressions. He isn't just identifying one thing here. He says, I know my transgressions. Notice the plural in the verse. And he says, and my sin is always before me. And he goes on to say that against you and you only have I sinned. And so what David has discovered in his life, is in his relationship, is that he says, um, there's something here that is bothering me. And he says, uh, there's this idea of this nagging thing, this, this thing that bothers him. Against you and you only have I sinned. And, and it could be that there's, there's something in our own individual lives that just won't let go. And so when I have this nagging thing in my life, that there's just something that, uh, uh, and I, like David, haven't committed adultery, but when there's something that's just nagging, what is it? Well, that's the Holy Spirit, actually. It's the Holy Spirit prodding us and reminding us that all of our religious activity, all of our on-the-surface niceness, that is never, ever impressing God. Religious activity doesn't cut it with God. We may be doing all the A, B's and C's that we think religiously are, are good. But when the Holy Spirit is still prodding us and, and, and knowing, letting us know that all is not right in our relationship with God. And you may say, yeah, but I haven't done anything really, really bad. And that may be actually true. But there's still that nagging thing going on in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, well, you know. And we want to say, well, I haven't done anything really, really bad. And that may be true. But there's still that, that sin that the Holy Spirit won't let us get away with. Whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit's still saying to you, you know, and I know. And you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, I know. But the Holy Spirit keeps on prodding at you. The Holy Spirit keeps on saying to you. So in verse 3, David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And he even goes back and says, surely I was sinful at birth. And he understands the, the concept of the original sin, I guess. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And he says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. 
against you and you only have I sinned, verse 4. And David understands that God wants truth in our heart of hearts. And that's why the Holy Spirit won't let us go. So what's next? Well, verses 7 through to 12. There's the threat of joy that actually comes with cleansing when we actually are willing to actually do business with the Holy Spirit and with God the Father and, and actually get that whole cleansing done when we're willing to say, all right, all right, I want it to all be right. I open it all up. I'm willing to lay my whole life on the table. My heart of hearts, the innermost place, God, let's get it right. Verses 7 through to 12, what does David say? He says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and and gladness. And he goes on to say what the results are when we are willing to come clean and confess it all and lay it all on the table and say, okay, God, I have been wrong, and I am willing to go right into the inner parts of my life and say yes to the innermost things that I'm trying to hide. I'm no longer going to hide, and I want to repent of it all. So what's the results? Well, the the relational thread of pure cleansing in verse 7. David says, I can't do this myself. All my good deeds aren't going to get me right with God. I need you to cleanse me. Because you're the only one who can take that relational thread and make me right. No amount of good works are ever going to fix my problem. So he turns to the one, the only one who can fix this brokenness in his life. David is searching for restored joy. In verses 8 and 12, he reflects on that. When a relationship isn't functional, there isn't joy in that relationship. We have great friends who live in Kelowna with us. They used to live here in Canmore. Names are Al and Diane Gaines. And um, Al and Diane were actually worship leaders here for us in Trinity when, when I was pastoring here. And, uh, and we just visit with them from time to time in, in Cologne. We were just with them just, bo- just, just before Christmas. They had invited us over for dinner. And, and so they're telling us they don't go to the same church that we go to in Cologne. And so we don't see them all the time. But from time to time we see them. And they're telling us that they're part of a small group. They're in their 70s now. And, and uh, they're, they're the youngest people in their small group. So uh, they're telling us about their small group, and uh, and so they said, you know, like sometimes uh, uh, we have to sort of keep the small group on track. I said, what do you mean, Al? He's well. He says, because we're those youngest members, uh, they sometimes verge off the trail of the Bible study to kind of talking about what's wrong with their church. I said, oh, that's, I get it. And so I said, oh, so and what's what's wrong with the church? He said, well, music is sometimes an issue, and. Uh, and Al and Diane, every church should have Al and Diane in their church. Like every church. Because Al and Diane, I mean, they're just the best people you could ever want to have in your church. They'll never complain about a thing. They love Jesus. Um, they just, I, man, I can't say enough good things about Al and Diane. Loved them when they were here in my church, when I was pastoring here. Loved them now. I, anytime they call, I'm like, I'll drop everything and go over to their place. I just, you, you cannot spend time with them without being encouraged. They're just that kind of people. So anyway, they're telling us that uh, their small group, they just got a new pastor in their church. And so uh, the guy's been there less than a year. And so this small group had decided that they needed to go and see him. Uh-oh. And so uh, Al was telling me that, uh, yeah, he says, uh, the small group had decided that um, they made an appointment. We're going to see the new pastor. And I said, oh. And so I says, um, 
So what's going to happen? He says, well, that's what I asked. Al said, uh, so they had an agenda. They had three things on the agenda. They're going to go and see their new pastor boat. And so Al said, oh, what are the three things? He says, well, number one, we don't sing enough hymns. Number two, the music's too loud. And number three, that new pastor, he sometimes wears blue jeans. (laughs) So uh, Al said, when's the meeting? They said, Thursday. Al said, I think I'm busy. I don't think I can join you. So <laughs> I thought, I love Al so much. And so Al's not going to the meeting. And so I said, uh, wow. So anyway, um, they, uh, they, I didn't ask how the meeting went. The meeting hadn't been taking place yet and stuff. And so they at the meeting all set up and stuff. But Al wasn't going because he wasn't going to be part of that kind of meeting. That's the kind of heart that Al has because... He's not going to complain. He won't complain about that kind of stuff because you know he says I love singing hymns. But he says we don't have to sing all hymns all the time or anything. That's not me because he says there's great new songs and he says I think that's great and stuff. And and, and like I said, every church does not have enough Al and Diane's in the church to that kind of people. And so um, as I was talking to Al and Diane about that, I said, you know, I, I just think that if people who complain about these kinds of things would get back to the scriptures and read what has to say, I think we fool ourselves thinking that if we get everything we want and we can worship God, that joy would follow. We fool ourselves because that's not what the Bible says. What what David says is that in here, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, it says in Psalm 51. It doesn't say restore to me the joy of my salvation. David pens this, And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we get our hearts right with God, what we discover is that joy will come when our hearts are right with Him. We don't get the joy when we get everything that we want. We get the joy when we get what He wants. And that's our hearts right with Him. It's amazing. It's amazing. But we have churches, because I know I travel and I visit and I work with pastors and with churches. People think that when we get everything we want, then we're going to be happy. And that's not what the scriptures tell us. Scriptures tell us that when we surrender and we do everything that God is calling us to do to get our hearts right with Him, He will bless us with His joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, David asks for. Verses 9 through to 11. David says, there's this hunger for a pure heart. This hunger for a pure heart. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Oh boy. In the middle of the psalm, David gets to what I think is most important and what we, who are Christians, should want all the time. Create in me, David says, a pure heart. And that's the only thing, that's the thing that we we can't, with all of our activity, we can't get. David asks for God to do that. God, create you. Create in me. Here's what I want. I want a pure heart, and I ask for you to do this. I want a pure heart and a right spirit. I want everything between you and me to be right, and that can only happen as if my heart is pure, and I'm asking for you to do this. I have a friend in Kelowna named John. He owns orchards. And uh, he's an elder in our church that we go to in Kelowna. And he, um, he could teach a course on eldering. He's that good. He's that wonderful. He's that godly of a man. 
I, I took him to Israel with me on uh, our last trip to Israel that we went to, and um, he he just um, told us the story uh, as we were walking one day and or sitting and talking and stuff. And he said that uh, he has he's got an old farmhouse on his orchard that he lives in, and um, he came home one, one summer just recently and um, one summer day, and he was just uh, so tired. It was late at night, and he uh, had a shower and then crashed on his couch. He was watching the news and fell asleep, and uh, he's got a lean-to up next to the house there where he parks his car. He's got a garage in the back, but he just parks his car there. And, and um, he said as he fell asleep, um, he just had the towel around himself after having a shower and stuff. And he's lying on this couch. And, and um, um, he said all of a sudden he wakes up and TV's gone blank. And uh, um, the sensor light by uh, his car had went off. And so um, he says he gets up and... Uh, he goes there and he's, someone's obviously has walked by into his car and you see he lives in like his, his farmhouse it's, uh, in his orchard and so he walks to the door and he opens up the crack and all he's got is a towel around himself and uh, so he opens up the door a crack and, and he sees a guy standing there and so John, John, John's in his 60s and he opens up the door and he's just a crack and he's got this towel around him and in his deep voice he, he yells out and he says I know who you are I know what you're doing and I know where you live and, and this voice and the little meek voice says you do <laughs> and the guy just freezes and so uh, John says don't move I gotta get some clothes on <laughs> so John goes running back into the house and gets a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt on and goes back out and he thought the guy would be long gone but he's not he's still standing beside his car and so uh, so John talks to him and says to him uh, what are you doing I don't want to tell you well, you know, he was trying to break into his car or whatever. And, and so John says to him, are you hungry? And the guy says, uh, yeah. He says, I'm really hungry. He says, well, come on to my house. He says, I'll make you a turkey sandwich and get you something to eat. And the guy says, I, I, I can't come into your house. John says, why not? He says, well, and he's all dressed shabby. He's just got like a, a little small backpack and just terrible clothes. And he's got these old beater pair of boots on and stuff. And and the young man says to him, he says, my feet are really stinky. I can't go into your house. And John says, okay, will you stay right here? He says, I'll go make you a turkey sandwich and I'll come right back. So he goes into his house, makes him a turkey sandwich and gets a bottle of water and goes back out and the guy's still standing there. Which John's really surprised. It's four o'clock in the morning. So uh, he says, um, sit down. And so he gives him the turkey sandwich and says, eat this. And so the guy starts eating the turkey sandwich and he says, uh, what are you going to do in my car? I, 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 I don't want to tell you. And so uh, John says, um, you were looking for money, weren't you? Yeah. And so um, he says, uh, what were you going to do with money? He says, I don't want to tell you. And John says, um, have you got some bad habits? Yeah, I've got bad habits. And so then John says to him, what's your, what's your very worst bad habit? And the young man says, heroin. So John says, eat your sandwich. So then John's talking to him a bit more and stuff. And, and so he finally says to him, he says, where's heroin ultimately going to take you? And the young man says, um, it's going to kill me. And John says, yeah, it's going to kill you. And so they talk for a little bit further and stuff. And then finally John says, he says I'll tell you what. He says, here's what I'm going to do for you. He says, I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to do anything like that. He says, it's 4.30 in the morning now. He says, and... I'm going to go back inside, he says, because i I got to get some sleep. He says, but you finish the sandwich and the bottle of water, and if you're still here 
eight o'clock this this morning or tomorrow this morning when I come back out. He says, I've got some friends who will help you kick your habit. He says, but you've really got to want to. He says, Mister, he says it's so hard. He says I've tried before, and John says, yeah. He says I know it's really hard. He says, but here's the deal: you really, really have got to want to kick your habit. He says, and I do have some friends who will help you kick that habit. But it's up to you. It's your choice. But I have some friends who will help you. But it's your choice. I'm going back inside and I'm going to bed. I'll be back out here at 8 o'clock in the morning. So John goes inside, goes to bed, comes back out at 8 o'clock in the morning. The man's sitting on his front steps. Takes him to the clinic to help him kick his habit. And I thought, you know, when I heard that story and when I was reading this passage in Psalm 51 and David says, create in me a clean heart. I thought, you know, for us as Christians, we have got to want a pure heart on a day-by-day basis as badly as that heroin addict wanted to get clean, that he was willing to stay there until 8 o'clock in the morning to go to a clinic to get clean because what that man had to go through was going to be horrific. But he chose that particular day that he wanted to get clean more than he wanted the drugs. That was quite a choice. But he wanted it so bad that particular day that he made a choice. That he'd rather be clean than to have the drugs. Would you rather continue in your sin today? Or would you rather be right with Jesus today that's the choice that we make every single day people David wrote he said I want a pure heart he wanted it so bad you can hear it oozing out of him as he pens this psalm I want a pure heart the last part is the thread of declaration verses 13 through 19 where David declares and he says, I'll teach transgressors my ways and sinners will run back to you, turn back to you. And he goes on and, and really I think that's the David when he comes clean and, and he wants others to help others. And he, he says, we all need to, to have that walk. And, and he's declaring that he's going to turn uh, transgressors and he wants to be part of the solution for others. And I think that's we as a church then, we move this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This is what we're, we want to then be part of a family like this church where we say, hey, I want to help others walk this walk. The Christian walk is never a walk to be walked alone. It's just not. It's a walk that we walk together. Because we are going to mess up. As David messed up, you and I individually we mess up. And that's why we need each other. That drug addict that John helped, he couldn't do it alone. He needed help. Because he would never, ever, ever kick the habit by himself. And you and I, we will never, ever, ever kick our habits by ourselves. We need each other. And so we go and we confess to one another and we ask for help from each other to help us stay accountable. And again, you know, I love all throughout the scriptures, these stories of, of individuals, the prodigal son who comes home. Why? Because he needed help. He needed to come to his, his dad. And the story of, of, in Luke chapter 15 of the, the different lost coins and the lost story, the, the prodigal who comes home and says, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He, he's not trying to say he wasn't wrong. He, no, he says, I, I sinned. I blew it. I messed up. 
His dad says, I welcome you back. Come, I'm here. Let's get it right. All these stories of relationship and restoration, brokenness and restoration, things that went wrong and awry, and confession and repentance, and then getting it right together and saying, now let's journey together. That's my story as well. At age 19, when I heard a preacher preach as a prodigal, I wasn't walking with God, but I heard a preacher preach and say, there's prodigals here tonight, and that was me. And I wasn't anywhere close to walking with God, but I wandered into a service. And that night, God called me to do what I'm doing today. And he said, I'm calling you to preach I thought I'd never heard before in my life. I was studying law. It was my third semester of law at that point in time in my life, thinking that I was going on to a career where I thought I would make lots of money and be successful in life. And God said, I didn't call you to do that. What I'm calling you to do right now is to go and preach. I thought I'd never had in my family life or anything like that whatsoever. And I thought, wow, why would God ever do that? Because he's a God of grace and mercy and compassion. And he called me out of a life where I was a prodigal steeped in sin. And he said, no, you're not lost forever. You were lost at that point. But you were just a prodigal who I have now sent a friend of yours who asked me to go with him to this service. And I went with him. And God in his grace put his hand upon my life and said, I've got plans for you in a future. And that night, God said to me, you're going to preach. And I thought I'd never, ever, ever had in my life before. And I had no family history of that in any way, shape, or fashion. But God said, I've got something new for you. And this was birthed, that I would do what I'm doing now in Trinity Bible Church was birthed out of that dream that God put into my heart. Amazing. Our God is so amazing. Who knows what God's got and possibility if we'll give our hearts to him. Who knows what God could do. God is a God who's so amazing because he's a God of relationship. Read the scriptures in this coming year looking at that possibility. Psalm 51 is filled with relationship. This whole scripture book is filled with relationship. I encourage you to look at it through this coming year as a book that is filled full of relationship. He wants relationship, right relationship with you if you don't have it today. If you do you have right relationship with just praise him and continue to read through this book and see all the different relationship that is there. Let's pray. Father, you're amazing. God, you're just so beautiful. I just love you so much. I'm so thankful for this church. So thankful for the opportunity I had this morning of just sharing with it with it. And um, I just pray for your continued blessing upon this place. I love this church so much and I'm so glad that I was be able to be here this morning. Continue God to use Sean and uh, the leadership here. I look forward to the building campaign that they're going to be upon and just ask for you to supply all their needs in every way, shape, and fashion in the days ahead because that's the kind of God that you are. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.